The views in this do not necessarily reflect the views of WKNC, Student Media, or NCSU. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. Good evening, Raleigh, and welcome to this week's Eye on the Triangle on 88.1 WKNC HD1 Raleigh. I am Nick Weaver. I'm Marissa Jordan. And I'm Jacob Miller. Welcome to our show. This week we have a themed episode in honor of Diversity Education Week. Uh, We will be airing pieces that showcase the amazing diversity found on campus. First, we have a quick look at a special Halloween-themed event happening at DH Hill Library. Then we'll swing into our diversity-themed content. First up, Marissa interviewed Preston Keith from the GLBT Center about the new social justice cohort. And next, Will Mayo brings you Taste of the Triangle. This week, he discusses Fa 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 Noodle Bar. After that, Ricky Dowles brings you a piece on Halloween and culturally appropriate costumes. And finally, Colleen Kinnan Ferguson brings you Gen Ed 2. This week, she talks about all the great resources on campus for Diversity Education Week. All that and more coming up in just a second. Stay tuned. EOT listeners, it's me, Marissa Jordan, in studio today with Sophie Kenny to talk about Horror at Hill Movie Fest. I almost said Music Fest. <laughs> so could you uh, just please tell us a little bit about what we will be talking about today? Yeah, so Horror at Hill is going to be a horror film festival. It's going to showcase various North Carolina horror films, and it's also going to show us the resources that the library has and do a bunch of workshops before every screening of the film. And is this in honor of Halloween, of course? Of course. <laughs> I love Halloween. Okay, so um, what? E- so I guess you kind of explained the basics, but what exactly is this festival? So Horrid Hill is going to be three Wednesdays in October. So it's going to be October the 11th, October the 18th, and October the 25th. And so we're going to be showing I Know What You Did Last Summer the first Wednesday, and then we're going to show Cabin Fever the second Wednesday, and then we're going to show The Descent on the 25th which is really exciting. Um, And so for every horror film, we're going to do workshops that kind of correspond with them. So for I Know What You Did Last Summer, we're going to do kind of a video game workshop. It's going to show you how to design a horror video game. And then for Cabin Fever, we have somebody that's going to come in and show how to create a horror film soundtrack. And the most exciting one, not that the others won't be cool too, uh, we have somebody that works on The Walking Dead for FX that's going to come do a big makeup workshop for The Descent. Oh, wow. I actually know a couple people that would be totally into that. So I guess anyone who's just into makeup or theater would probably really want to check that out. Yeah, and I know you have to register in advance, but I think that that's going to be coming out pretty soon. Still kind of waiting for details on that. So yeah, definitely if you're interested, keep your eye open. Okay, so is like horror a huge genre in the like North Carolina movie scene? I'm actually not super familiar, so... It's getting bigger, but I think that what's really cool about this festival is that I think we don't often think about horror films being shot in North Carolina. And to be perfectly honest, I didn't even know that a lot of these were. So, like, I know last summer shot in Wilmington, and I believe The Descent uh, shot in the Appalachian Mountains. 
And so I think that's a really cool, like, just kind of way to get horror films, like, integrated in North Carolina. Yeah, that's awesome. And it especially goes with our, like, eye on the triangle spirit of, like, keeping up with, like, what's local and, like, all of our cool local art that's going on in North Carolina. If you are a Halloween fanatic or a movie fanatic or both, this definitely sounds like your event. Anything else? Just come on out and join us. It'll be a lot of fun. Okay, thank you for coming in today. Thank you very much for having me. This has been Marissa Jordan for Eye on the Triangle. Okay, so hi. We are here today to talk about some social justice yeah, that's my favorite subject. <laughs> awesome. Okay, so um, I'm Marissa Jordan, and can you please introduce yourself and what you do at the GLBT Center, or how you're related to all this? Yeah, so my name is Preston Keith. I use he, him, his pronouns, and I work at the GLBT Center as the assistant director. Awesome. So thank you so much for coming in, first of all. Yeah, thank you. Okay, so um, I had not heard of this social justice cohort. What exactly is it? So it's an opportunity for students to gather together and really engage in deep dialogue across the intersections of identity and also talking about ways in which systemic oppression operates within our regular lives, on our campuses, and in our institutions, and in our policies, and figuring out ways that we can work together to dismantle some of those social um, systems of oppression. So I guess like right now, it's very, very important to like be doing this in Absolutely. today's political climate. So... What, um, what does this initiative like want to accomplish? So what does this initiative want to accomplish? What we want to accomplish is giving people some foundational tools to recognize and respond to systems of oppression, whether it's bias, whether that's interactions with their peers, or whether that's recognizing and advocating for change on different campuses within their personal lives and professional lives. We found that a lot of students were really interested in, in kind of doing this work, but didn't know how to do this work. And so giving them some of that foundational information to kind of get to the why and then get to the how. It is sometimes really hard to like figure out, like, I want to make this change, but how do I do that? Exactly. And people think it's this huge, daunting task, but there's little things you can do each and every day that actually subverts a lot of these systems of oppression that exist. Granted, there's a lot of big things that we should all be doing, but we work up to that and we give you the tools to get to there. So I, I was reading up on this. It seems like it's kind of like everyone has like their own little projects. Is that kind of correct? Not not necessarily their own little projects. So each week we are each other every other week we have a different topic that we're unpacking, right, and really dissecting a little bit, and then we work towards getting folks to kind of talk about what their plan of action is going to be. And so every week we build little tools to get you to the bigger how that you want to kind of cultivate on your own. So just like talking about like some important issue, like I think um, one that was brought up on the website was like uh, Native American people and colonialism. Yeah, absolutely. So we talk about colonialism, we talk about um, social justice movements, talk about intersectional social justice, talking about, um, we talk about DACA a lot in that in the conversations okay. in the last couple of weeks, um, talking about racial justice and what that looks like, mm -hmm. talking about de-escalating police officers and how you can utilize that and what that looks like. So different topics that are pressing talk about white supremacy a lot and how that infiltrates a lot of our systems and how that is embedded in a lot of the ways in which we think and act and how we can disrupt that. So, yeah. Do you have any people coming in? This just popped into my head. So maybe someone like started to realize their own privilege and they, they come in because they just want to know more because there are a lot of people that I've come to know like that. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. So students come in, or we have actually, I keep saying students, we have faculty and staff who are coming to these programs as well. Folks come in at varying levels of their understanding of their identity and about privilege and about social justice um, concepts as a whole. Some folks are on the far end of the spectrum where they talk about this every single day. Like this is the conversation that they continually have with their friends, with their peers, and the work that they're doing. Some people coming in because they just realize that they have these privileged identities and want to do something to correct some of these systems. And so they come in wanting and eager to learn more. And then some folks who are just like, I'm doing some things, but I want to do more. So how do I do more? So it's a varying spectrum of folks that come in. No, that's really awesome because you really you want to get those people that don't understand engaged, of yeah. course. And of course, you want to have a place to foster people who already know or are dealing with these issues on a daily or yeah daily level. Okay, so um, who will be, I guess this is kind of obvious, but who will be helped or affected by this initiative? Hopefully, hopefully the world, or at least yeah. NC State. <laughs> the world might be a little lofty. <laughs> NC State hopefully will be affected by this. We think that by building capacity within our students to make change and to recognize these systems and disrupt these systems, we're going to create little pockets of change that is happening across our campus. And with those little pockets, they'll gather together, create bigger pockets, and create a whole movement that's changing. That would be awesome, honestly. I would love to see that. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> Fingers crossed it happens this year. Probably not, but we'll keep going. It'll take time, I'm sure, but it'll be definitely worth it. And, of course, this furthers the goals of NC State. I would assume. Absolutely. Um, part of our mission at NC State is really fostering inclusive dialogue and being able to engage across identity. And so continuing that and furthering that by providing people with the tools to do that is really important, really crucial to not only the mission, but just existing on our campus. In general, I've been very impressed with some of the things NC State has done. Not everything, of course, but you know. There's lots of great things that are happening. Um, I think of the work of the campus community centers. I think of the work of um, the Office of Institutional Equity and Diversity. I think of the work of the different diversity officers or people within the different colleges that are doing that work. I think of the faculty and staff who are just committed to diversity and committed to multiculturalism and intercultural education. So there's lots of good things happening. This was more like when I wasn't quite as sure what was going on. Is some sort of presentation at the end, like, a, or is it just more like a weekly forum? That's actually a really good idea. So it's not <laughs> there's not a big presentation at the end, um, but it is more so like a weekly form of figuring out how do we disrupt these systems and how do we work together. Um, this is the first time we're doing this program, so it has the ability to evolve and change over time. I kind of like the idea of a huge presentation at yeah, the end, so cool. I might snatch that and <laughs> use that later. Yeah, that would be so cool. I might snatch it. So can anyone join this program? Absolutely. So the idea was to create a cohort of folks that were growing together and learning together. And as we're moving through the semester, um, we kind of have that core group of people who've been there from the beginning and then people that have started to trickle in towards the end. I think for next year, we're really trying to keep and cultivate that core group and keep them moving through throughout the time. And so anyone can come to those first couple of meetings and then keeping those people engaged and retained. So if any of our listeners out there are interested in, of course, making a difference, how would they join? Um, you can come to the next session, which mm -hmm. actually is tonight, so probably not. <laughs> but... This will be in the past by then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, just check our website out and see um, when we're offering this. And if you have any questions, just email the GLPT Center and we'll be happy to connect you. Awesome. So um, that was all my I always end with, is there anything else I missed that you would like to add? That... Everyone has a role in equity. Everyone has a role in social justice. Everyone has a role in this movement we call life and being able to create these equitable spaces for everyone. So recognize your role and go out and do something. Honestly, I totally agree. Thank you so much for coming in today. Yeah, thank you for having me. This has been Marissa Jordan for Eye on the Triangle.
Good afternoon, 88.1 WKNC. You're tuned in to Taste of the Triangle, your source for culinary insight and food culture in Raleigh and the surrounding area. I'm your host, Will Mayo, and this week I will be covering Fa 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 Noodle Kitchen and Bar, which is located on Glenwood Avenue in downtown Raleigh. Before I get into information about the restaurant, let me share some information about Fa. For those of you that are not familiar, Pho, spelled P-H-O, is a traditional Vietnamese dish that is actually typically eaten in the morning. Though Pho is not technically Pho without its rice noodles, most people judge Pho by its broth. The broth in a traditional bowl of Pho will be characterized by two things. First, a complex blend of spices that one might liken to those used to spice cider or wine. Second is a complete flavor profile of the meat used to create the broth, bones and all. The spices and meat combine with a few key vegetables to create a truly aromatic and delicious dish. Personally, I had never indulged in the Vietnamese dish prior to my visit at Pho 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 this weekend. However, when the house pho was placed in front of me, it was love at first waft. I could hardly contain my excitement as I patiently awaited the rest of my companion's food, and for a solid minute after its arrival, not a sound could be heard save for the slurping of noodles. The ability to hush my rambunctious lot is a testament to Pho Pho Pho's absolutely delicious food. The house pho is a hearty bowl containing many types of beef, to include rare beef, beef balls, beef shank, beef tripe, and beef tendon and of course the traditional rice noodles, vegetables, and spices. I highly recommend it if you've got quite an appetite, and even if this doesn't satisfy you, Pho 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 also features a number of rotating craft beers, draft and otherwise. The featured cocktail this week at Pho 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 is the Asian Kilt, which is a fresh lime and Malibu drink with muddled jalapeno and Thai basil topped with ginger beer. The bar also runs about 10 other cocktails, a dozen or so wines, and a handful of sakis. There's also quite a fun atmosphere at Pho Pho Pho, no pun intended. 80s music and kung fu movies fill the room as you enjoy your meal with your friends. This, combined with their incredible waitstaff and amazing food, of course, make Pho 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 Noodle Kitchen and Bar another tasty slice of the Triangle's culinary pie. This has been Taste of the Triangle, and I'm your host, Will Mayo. Thanks for listening in, and keep it locked to 88.1 WKNC. The following subject is one that I know a lot of people are tired of hearing about, but I'm going to keep beating it into your heads anyway until we finally have one Halloween where it isn't an issue. NC State University's Diversity Education Week is a chance for students of all different backgrounds to gain new perspectives on the experiences of the many different cultures we have on our campus. It's a chance to learn something new and a chance to appreciate a culture that maybe you had no idea about before. With this abundance of resources at hand, you would think it would be easy for students to recognize the difference between appreciation and appropriation, 
Yet still, the confusion remains. So, once again, as we get closer and closer to Halloween, I'm here to remind you that while, yes, it's okay for you to want to be Moana for Halloween, no, it's not okay to darken your skin or add indigenous tattoos that you don't even know the meaning of to make it a more realistic costume. I shouldn't have to explain why blackface, brownface, or any darkening of one's skin for entertainment value is wrong. We all know that minstrelsy was a way for white actors to mock African Americans by darkening their skin and perpetuating stereotypes. Why would you even want to copy something with that kind of history? And yet and still, everyone's favorite counter-argument is the Wayans Brothers film White Chicks, which is a movie about two black men who use makeup to lighten their skin and pretend to be white women. Here, my friends, is the key difference. Blackface has a historical context that can trigger the people of today. Minstrelsy made African Americans the butt of every joke, so by continuing to darken your skin for the sake of a few laughs on Halloween does nothing but continue the idea that you are laughing at us for the way we look and act. That's not to say that you can't wear a costume if the person you want to be is of a different race. You can. Just leave the self-tanning bronzer at home when you go trick-or-treating. And speaking of different races, blackface isn't the only form of degradation that we see on Halloween. For every girl that wants to dress up as Pocahontas, Princess Jasmine, Mulan, or Moana, there's a fine line you have to make sure you don't cross. It's okay to dress up as a character for Halloween. It's fiction, so race shouldn't really play a part in your characterization. However, what's not okay is using a significant part of someone else's culture for entertainment value when you don't even know the significance of it. Or wearing someone's culture as a costume as a means of perpetuating a negative stereotype of that culture. Don't throw on a mariachi hat while chugging a bottle of tequila while simultaneously chanting, build the wall. Don't wear the cute belly dancing costume to show off your abs if you're going to continue to perpetuate the Arabic stereotypes of Muslim terrorism. Don't popularize curvy bodies, braided styles, or big lips if you're just going to call them ghetto and unprofessional on black women. And finally, one surefire way that'll change your appreciation of a culture to appropriation real quick is not being accurate in your depiction. I cringe every time I hear someone singing the beginning lines of Circle of Life or We Know the Way without properly singing the correct lyrics. Yes, they are in a different language, but they have meaning just as much as any language tied to a culture. And if you can learn the words to Bohemian Rhapsody, then you can take the time to learn an indigenous language. If you just have to wear a cultural costume, make sure you're being authentic to the culture. You can even use the opportunity to educate others on the people you're trying to appreciate. A lot of non-people of color like to dismiss cultural appropriation as nothing more than the whinings of liberal quote-unquote snowflakes. Not too long ago, I saw an article written by a writer for NC State's The Tab complaining about how black people were crying cultural appropriation over the fact that white girls were wearing hoops. Yes, imagine being so privileged that you get to complain about people being offended by your actions. Whether or not I agree with the idea that wearing hoops is cultural appropriation, I do know this. You do not have a say in what offends someone, period. End of discussion. Similarly, you don't have a say in what parts of someone's culture they don't want you wearing or mocking. The fact that it seems silly to you just proves that you don't care enough about the culture to recognize the significance it holds for them. So at the end of the day, if you really want to appreciate a culture, listen to what they have to say and take into consideration how they feel about your appreciation. But hey, 
That's just what I say. Do you agree or have a different opinion? Let me know, and I'm happy to listen. Until next time, this is Ricky Dows, and you are listening to Eye on the Triangle. to a special episode of Gen Ed, an NC State student-focused podcast recorded from the production room of WKNC-FM HD1 Raleigh. This week's episode is celebrating Diversity Education Week 2016 at North Carolina State University. I sat down with the Assistant Director of the GLBT Center at NCSU to talk about microaggressions and intersectionality. You are not alone on this campus, and there are so many different groups and organizations that would love to make you feel more at home. Today, we'll be highlighting a few of those organizations that exist within and through the GLBT Center. If you have a topic you'd like to hear discussed on Gen Ed, please email podcast at WKNC.org. Thanks for listening. It's GLBT History Month, so what is the center doing to celebrate? Absolutely. So this History Month, we're focusing on um, carving out and creating space and dismantling systems of oppression. And so really having a lot of our focus on institutional oppression that exists for not only GLBT, not only talking about basically systemic oppression as it relates to the GLBT community, but systemic oppression as it relates to all our communities um, intersectionally. So one program that we have coming up actually tomorrow, which will be the 12th, is what is racial justice? So talking about racial justice as a construct and how we can work towards becoming better allies and also looking across the intersections of identity, whether that is race and ethnicity as it relates to other aspects of your identity. And then we have some great speakers coming in talking about the Voter Rights Act. Uh, We had a speaker that was going to come in talking about institutionalized oppression for GLBT youth in the juvenile justice system, but they weren't able to come this year. But just along those same lines of really trying to create space and, and, and carving and and, and cultivating a conversation around institutionalized oppression and systems of oppression as it relates to GLBT history. So what kind of student groups do you have within the center right now? Yeah, so we have six different student groups, two of which are student organizations that are affiliated with like student involvement. So Jiblica, which is our largest student organization, it's kind of our umbrella organization as well. It houses the majority of the students that utilize our space. They meet on Tuesdays from seven to about nine every Tuesday. And that group is made up of leadership board of student leaders and also advised by myself and the director of the GLBT Center, Renee Wells. And they do programs that talk about a variety of issues that relate to GLBT experience, whether it's um, issues happening on campus, whether it's understanding more about different identities within the GLBT spectrum, and also creating space for community building. So they do lots of fun events, they have movie nights, they also do crafting and things of that nature. OSTEM, which is our organization called OUT for Science, Technology, Engineering, and Math. So looking at our 
students who identify as GLBT but are also in our STEM fields and we'll be working on kind of professional development, career focused, also how do you be out while still being within these very science dominated fields and what does that look like for you, what does that experience like for you. And then our other four groups are more discussion-based groups. Um, we have one called ACEPAC, which looks at our asexual and aromantic students and their allies really trying to cultivate community for that group, as well as increase a dialogue across an identity that might not get as much attention or much visibility. We also have BIPAN, they meet on Mondays, <laughs> every other Monday. So there's BIPAN, which is another open group that is for bisexual and pansexual and allied communities and then t-files which is a closed group for our trans and gender non-conforming students and then qpoc which is a group for our queer people of color okay so next question is about that term you threw around so what does it mean to be intersectional oh absolutely oh and i love talking about intersectionality <laughs> so if you really want to talk about intersectionality you gotta get to its origins right and you have to talk about how intersectionality came to be as a construct. Um, Kimberly Crenshaw back in, I believe, 1989 was this law professor um, at Stanford and she was really critiquing the fact that the feminist movement didn't really cultivate a space or acknowledge the identities of women of color within that movement. So they were talking about race as a separate construct and, and feminism as a separate construct and not talking about the ways that those interact and overlap with one another. She recognized that there were different oppressions that a woman of color was facing as opposed to a white woman or um, a woman who didn't identify as a woman of color. And so from that, talking about ways that you have to recognize all of the identities that people hold and car carve space and cultivate a conversation around those identities because each of those identities carries different levels of oppression that can potentially impact the way that you navigate and move through this world. So looking across this whole spectrum of identity that we all hold and really understanding how each of those overlap or interconnected and cannot be readily parsed apart. If I was to give an elevator yeah. pitch about um, intersectionality. intersectionality, I would say that we all live these very multifaceted lives and we all have lots of identities that we hold. And with those identities that we hold, there are different opportunities for privilege, for power, and for oppression. And intersectionality recognizes that you hold all of those different identities simultaneously and that you cannot say that today I'm going to identify as a man and tomorrow I'll identify as black or today I'll identify as cisgender and tomorrow I'll identify as gay. No, you identify as all of that all at once and with that there's a lot of baggage that comes with that and that really impacts the way that you move and navigate through this world. Mm -hmm. So recognizing that and creating space for that and also working on overcoming barriers that may be associated with some of those identities. So why is it important to recognize intersectionality? Going back to the whole, we're not living these singular lives, like in order for you to bring yourself fully into any conversation, into any space that you're going to, you're gonna bring all of those identities. And if for some reason one of those identities isn't supported in that space, it feels like you have to negotiate what you bring to that table at that moment. And we wanna create spaces where people don't have to negotiate their identities. We wanna create spaces where people don't have to say, 
I'm going to put this ex-identity on the back burner in order to be in the space comfortably. We want to make sure that we are teaching folks that you need to be intersectional in your thoughts and your practices and also in the ways that you support people. And so thinking about all of that working together and recognizing that we all have these multifaceted lives that come with multiple identities that need to be acknowledged and, and celebrated at the same levels. So what are some of the challenges um, you see students face in regards to having like intersectional identities? Well, one, the concept is really complex, right? So a lot of times folks don't even realize the impact that these identities have on each other. Um, Sometimes people won't even recognize that these identities are being influenced until they sit back and really reflect on how they're being treated or how they're moving across this world, right? And so for this, for a lot of people, this being this new concept, it's something that we have to really learn. And then in that learning, there's a lot of unlearning learning that we have to do as well. And so sometimes folks aren't ready for that unlearning or it takes them a lot longer to do some of the unlearning that's necessary to create these spaces that are a little bit more inclusive. When we're thinking about ways that we can be inclusive in our thoughts and our practices, we have to think about the whole person and not just individual aspects of their identity. And from that, we can start to be more aware of what we do, how we impact and influence others, and how they are influenced and impacted by our actions and our thoughts. Do you want to talk about microaggressions? Yeah, so microaggressions, there, so there's three different types of microaggressions. But when we're talking about microaggressions, we're talking about any instance, comment, um, action, or behavior that is really directed towards somebody, whether it's conscious or unconscious, and it's kind of this subtle form, the subtle snub that someone does to somebody else based on identity that they hold. So you can have a microaggression that's racially based. So if you try to compliment someone on, I just had this conversation actually today, um, a friend of mine changed her hairstyle and her hairstyle now looks very much more um, wavy and European, but everyone's complimenting her about this all the time and so she basically said but my natural hair wasn't something that you complimented at the same level at the same time so this is kind of a microaggression even though you're complimenting me on this new hairstyle that I have you're also telling me that the hairstyle I had before wasn't acceptable or it wasn't something that you deemed as beautiful also thinking about the times where we're trying to be quote-unquote polite to folks but actually are saying something that's actually doing harm to people, like complimenting someone on their their accent or their, or their grammar when they're a, a student who's an international student, or when you're doing something like trying to quote unquote dance, like insert race or ethnicity, things of that nature, like these comments that seem really silly, but also are really hurtful and really harmful. And so for a lot of folks, these microaggressions as they happen and as they exist, people don't recognize that they're doing it because of the fact that it's so ingrained in our systems, it's so ingrained in things that we think are complementary but actually are not and actually are very harmful and have a larger impact on people. Especially in the South, I feel like it's a lot of our culture is being two-faced. Like, oh, bless your heart. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, I say that all the time, too. (laughs) How can we stop performing microaggressions like for allies and yeah. who aren't um, minorities. So when we talk about microaggressions, I think it's also important that we recognize our implicit and unconscious bias that we have and recognizing that we all carry some form of implicit and unconscious bias. 
So with that, starting to stop it before it comes out and starting to, to act on it before we say something that's going to be hurtful or harmful. When we become aware of those implicit biases or those unconscious biases that we hold, we can actually start to do that unlearning of those implicit biases and then start to create more inclusive spaces and allow people to be themselves and not create these stereotypes for folks that then impact the way that we see them or the way that we communicate with one another. So one is always just raising your awareness and just being conscious of what you're saying and what you're doing. And also microaggressions happen, but I always find it really interesting the way people respond when they're called out on the microaggressions that are happening. A lot of times people go into this very defensive, well, that's not what I meant, or you know me and that's not how I think. Well, that's what you said and this is the impact that it's had on me. So owning that, learning from that, trying to not make that mistake again, and trying to really be cognizant of what that message that you said, the weight that it carries for someone who is from a marginalized group or Uh someone who's from a group that's not, um, that's being directly affected by that microaggression. So are there any resources within Jiblitka that can help educate students, make them more conscious? So attending a Jiblika meeting in general is a way that you can become more conscious of microaggressions or just being more conscious of some of the language that may be actually harmful or microaggressions that can be really hurtful. Uh, Attending programs from any organization that's affiliated with the campus community centers and becoming more aware of some of those languages and some of those um, actions that are have some unintended harm. We also have a workshop that we do in the GLBT center, mainly for our faculty and staff, but if a student were to come we would never turn a student away. And actually one is coming up on October 31st called Examining Microaggressions and really Perfect. unpacking some of those. Uh, the GLBT Center also has worked with Multicultural Student Affairs, African American Cultural Center to um, put on programs and events around microaggressions and how that impacts the GLBT community as well as communities of colors, as well as um, communities that are differently abled, as well as different socioeconomic statuses and things mm-hmm. of that nature. Is that the advocate program? Yes, the advocate program. Um, our advocate program is geared specifically for our faculty and staff for a continuing education program and an engagement program. But we've had students in the past who participate in an advocate program and love the workshops that we put on and, and want to know more and want to get involved more. And we totally welcome that. So Project Safe is a, one particular um, workshop that's about three hours long and it talks to you about issues that impact the GLBT community, um, how that looks at the national level, internationally, and also on NC State's campus campus, also talking about ways that we can be more inclusive in our thoughts and our practices, how we can cultivate classrooms and and friend groups that can be a little bit more inclusive and more supportive of our GLBT community, as well as just basically giving you an opportunity to understand some concepts and language that you may not be familiar with. There are a lot of terms under the GLBT umbrella that folks may not have experience, may not have a keen understanding on. So we try to talk about all of that or as much as we can within that three hours and as much as the conversation allows us to. Are there any topics that you frequently hear students discuss, like issues going on on campus or that they're not feeling like safe or anything um, like that? There have been lots of talks going on right now around um, the Black Lives Matter movement and and really calling to attention a lot of 
inequities that are happening and, and a lot of campus climate that's going on, especially for our students of color. And then thinking about that on a larger scale, thinking about how that impacts our campus community and messages that send to incoming students as well as our alumni. And so really try striving to find spaces and in, in ways that we as an institution, we as staff members within the institution can support students and, and making sure that students are affirmed and validated within the campus and community centers. That is what we do, right? So we make sure that students have a space that they can call home, a safe space where they can be themselves, a space where they can grow and they can learn. And now it's reaching out from just the campus community centers and students who frequent that to the students who don't necessarily frequent these spaces, how do we educate those students as well? So that way your safe space isn't one or two places on campus, your safe space is the entire mm-hmm. campus as a whole. So working on our education outreach for that and making sure that we're very intentional in that work that we're doing. What would you say to a student who wants to come in but is scared? The first step <laughs> is always just to walk in the door. Um, if you are afraid to come in for whatever reason, reach out to myself, reach out to Andy, Renee, or Lynn. We via email we are always available we will meet with you outside of the space so that way you don't necessarily have to take an identity when you walk in this door a lot of times students a barrier for students is that initial walking through that door because you do kind of assume an identity whether it's perceived or your actual identity and so making sure that you feel supported in the way that you want to be supported and making sure that you get connected to the resources that you want to get connected to. Um, We are available for individual consultation. We're available just to talk. We are here to get you connected to other parts of campus if that's something that you feel more comfortable with. But we're just here to better help and better serve our campus community. So if you are afraid to walk in the door, we will meet you where you are within reason, (laughs) as long as it's on campus. (laughs) Are there any organizations in the greater Raleigh area you guys are partnered with? Yeah, we work um, a lot with, well, we work um, some with our LGBT Center of Raleigh, which is in downtown Raleigh, um, which is a resource that we often refer people to. And if folks want to get connected to more community-based organizing, they can do that. The LGBT Center of Durham is also a great space um, that we work with a lot. And then just organizations that come to our campus, like the Alliance of AIDS Services for Carolina. Um, They come every last Wednesday of the month to do free HIV and STI testing on our campus, and we host them here. And with that, you don't have to bring any insurance documentation. They just do free testing for you. And that's a great resource for those who just want to get monthly checkups. Yeah, I think that education is always super important when you are thinking about being more inclusive, thinking about diversity. Um, Diversity Education Week, right? It's a thing. Um, So I think that oftentimes people have this magical way of thinking where if I have X number of diverse friends that I'm magically diverse. No, that is not how it works at all. There is so much ongoing education that people need to do um, to be more inclusive in their thoughts and their practices. There are ways that your friend group might respond to situations that other folks may not respond to. So being aware of that and, and, and being okay with not knowing everything and, and being uncomfortable and some of the things that you don't know and working towards comfort by learning more and interacting more. I also think it's important 
to step outside of that comfort zone that you have and go to different organizations, go to different meetings, um, go to different programs, things that you may not necessarily want or may not necessarily think that is for you could be for you. So going ahead and attending those meetings and those events and, and learning about what's going on for that community, as well as understanding that that community, whatever they're talking about in that event for that particular community may not be reflective of the entire community. And so not generalizing and not stereotyping, which seems really easy enough, but it's not. So being prepared for that. And then also just being prepared to do a lot of unlearning of the things that we've been taught Oftentimes, we've been really good teachers of the bad messages, or really students of the bad messages that we've received. So doing some of that unlearning is going to be crucial when you want to be more inclusive in your thoughts and in your practices. Have you seen any conflict within the... Because we were talking about intersectionality. Mm -hmm. Like, have you seen any conflict between um, people of different identities, like um, queer students of color and white gay students? The reason why we have um, queer people of color as a, as a, a separate community group—that's a close community group—and and I think this is something that is not novel to any any GLBT center or any space whatsoever—is that th- there is some inherent racism that exists within um, GLBT communities, and so there is a lot of isms that happen and, and a lot of microaggressions that could potentially happen for folks. And we're trying to create safer spaces for people who identify as people of color. And and a part of the queer community. We're trying to educate those who are a part of the larger queer community that don't identify as people of color and making sure that we are reducing those instances of racism that may happen, reducing those instances of microaggressions that are happening and, and opening up a larger dialogue so that the community can really be supportive and the community can really be affirming. On our campus, we're doing a very good job of being intentional in our intersectional approach. Intentional in our intersectional approach, so that is a mouthful. <laughs> but being really intentional and, and making sure that we are cultivating those safe spaces, but also educating our students to be more mindful of their thoughts and how that impacts and how that might send a message of unwelcoming for someone who doesn't identify as non as white and part of the queer community. And how do we shape our environment to be more inclusive and supportive? And how do we work to invite people of all identities into this space and really support every single person that wants to come through that door. So yeah, there is there is some issues that might come from that and but from for the work that we're doing, we're barely intentional about being really intersectional in our approaches. Definitely stop by the GLBT Center Monday yeah. through Friday. Why is this center called GLBT instead of LGBT? You know, we get that question a lot actually. Um, our center is called GLBT Center because when our center was first conceived or first created, the LGBT Center of Raleigh was already a thing and already an organization that had been founded. And so we didn't want people to get confused um, when they do the search for the GLBT Center. And so we just flipped one letter and made it the GLBT Center of NC State. For more information and updates on WKNC's podcast channel, please follow WKNC 88.1 on Tumblr, SoundCloud, and on the iTunes store where all of our podcasts are available for download. Thanks for listening. Hi, my name is Preston Keith. I am the assistant director for the GLBT Center. And when I'm not advocating for GLBT rights, I am listening to WKNC.
You are listening to Eye on the Triangle on 88.1 WKNC HD1 Raleigh. I am Nick Weaver, joined by Marissa Jordan and Jacob. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about how we love diversity and what it means to us for the remaining time in the show. We're going to have a little bit of that in honor of Diversity Education Week. Yeah, I just wanted to like wrap up the show by saying like it's really nice that we at the at like a huge public university have all these resources that we can, you know, always reach out to for especially minority groups on this campus. You know, it's it's really I think it's a beautiful thing that we have these and I that's how I wanted to wrap up the show. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think NC State's very supportive of these groups. I think it could be more supportive. I think of there's course. obviously a lot of talk about that, but we are are, are sort of blessed in our resources in that regard, uh, much better than some universities have it, I think. I'm really thankful that we have like such a big campus uh, size so that we can see all these people from different cultures and backgrounds so that we can better understand what it's like and that it's not just a world of like-minded people like us. It's a more of a blending area. Mm-hmm. And to the credit of state, we, they uh, they do try to do outreach programs. They try to connect with the community in face of uh, dividing events and just in general. A lot of the time, they'll respond to some local. What's the word? What's the word? Happenings that could potentially be controversial mm-hmm. or are just downright bad, and try to draw people together as best they can. Uh, whether or not you believe they do it for the goodness of their heart or for money is. I guess kind of irrelevant, but at least we have that to hold things together a little bit. Mm -hmm. I I, I really agree with the uh, whole, you know, bringing us together as a community. Um, I feel like state as a campus is very welcoming to not only uh, minorities, but to everyone as an an entire entity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, that's what I wanted to say. You know, of course, it's really great to have these. And um, thank you for listening to our Diversity Education Week. Um, And... Yeah, that about does it for this week's show. Thanks for joining us on this fantastic Monday evening, assuming you've been listening to this live. If you're catching our Wednesday rebroadcast, good morning and good day. We hope you enjoyed the show. As always, if you heard anything you liked, you hated, or anything that made you think, let us know at publicaffairs at wknc.org. And be sure to check out our blog at wknc-eot.tumblr.com. Our intro music for today's show and every other show was Connie by L1011. You can catch another episode of Eye on the Triangle next he- next week right here on WKNC. I'd like to thank our contributors and the rest of our staff for assisting with the program today and their contributions here at Eye on the Triangle. And um, as Nick mentioned earlier, be sure to catch us again next Monday from 7 to 8 or p.m., excuse me, time slot, and our new Wednesday 7 to 8 a.m. rerun slot. Mm -hmm. For Eye on the Triangle, I am Nick Weaver. I'm Jacob Miller. And I'm Marissa Jordan. Thanks again for listening in. You know the drill. Stay tuned for your usual programming of amazing indie music at this hour. It's underground music, hip-hop, And we'll see you all again next time. Hi, this is Dave.